So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any perfection in your spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through he was form of God, did not count equality with good a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Miss Jaden. That was awesome. You may be seated. Miss Jaden is uh, one of our leaders in Community Kids. I know Katie and the other leaders enjoy having her back there. And uh, man, we're just so excited to see the next generation of, of young people being raised up to believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, we're also excited for our students. They're actually over at Highland this morning, uh, finishing up uh, what they call D-Now Weekend. Uh, they've had a, an awesome weekend just uh, digging into the Word together, being together. It's, uh, it's been a, a really fun weekend. So um, when, I was, uh, when I was young, I was in 4-H, and for our family, that was mostly revolved around livestock. Uh, we showed just about every kind of animal you could imagine, rabbits, sheep, pigs, cattle, I even got some goats in there. Um, so we, that was like the main thrust. But we also, um, our parents had this expectation that we would do what they called a building project every year. And those were like the bane of my existence. Um, because And those, like, you had to be creative and artsy. And you had, like, I always procrastinated. And so this one year, uh, I had to take one. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And in art class, we had learned how to write calligraphy. So I thought, all right, sweet. I'm going to write uh, like a little phrase in calligraphy and frame it, and I'll have my building project done. I procrastinated on that too, and I got the worst building project grade that I've that I ever got in all my 10 years of 4-H, but what's ironic about it is that was my worst building project, and I've never forgotten the phrase that I wrote. Um, the phrase was this, if you chase two rabbits, both will get away. If you chase two rabbits, both will get away. And they say it's an old Chinese proverb, which is code for nobody really knows where this came from. <laughs> if you chase two rabbits, both will get away, right? And um, this, is, this is like the epitome of a platitude. We're talking about gratitude or platitude here in the month of November. Uh, this is the epitome of a platitude because here's the thing. Um, if, if I'm standing here and there's a rabbit over here on this side of the stage and there's a rabbit over here on this side of the stage and I try to catch them both, am I going to catch both of them? 
No, it's true, right? Like, I'm not going to be able to catch both of them, uh, I don't think. I'm probably not even going to be able to catch one of them, but that's beside the point, right? Like, I'm not going to be able to catch both of them if I try to do that. And yet, there's something that kind of feels empty about this, because at the same time, there's so many things in life, like we're chasing multiple things, and, and sometimes you can have your cake and eat it too, right? Like, like, and there's times where it's good to strive after more than one thing. So uh, we have the, the tension of a, of a platitude here. If you chase two rabbits, both will get away. And I was reminded of this phrase as I, as I read the first few verses, or the verses that we're going to study today in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, right? So last week we talked about verses 1 through 3, and we talked about how um, joy, true joy, only comes from Christ. It only comes from the encouragement that we have in Christ, the participation in the Spirit in our lives. That we have to put Jesus first and others second and, and ourselves last, last if we really want to experience joy. So that's the platform that we're building on as we continue to, to figure out how are we truly grateful in this world. And we pick it up in verse 4. And it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How can I look to the interests of others and to my own interests at the same time? It's like chasing two rabbits, right? Like I'm either serving myself or I'm serving others. It, it seems almost an impossible thing to do. And so Paul goes on in verse 5 and 6 and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we're going to start today by realizing that it almost makes no sense. It's, it's very difficult for us to comprehend how we might do both of those things at the same time. And we're going to reverse engineer this in a way, and we're, we're going to go all the way back and try to get to a point where we can understand what it is that we might do that would allow us to not only look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Sound good? All right, good. So to do that, I want to go back all the way to the beginning of humanity. And as we go back to the beginning of humanity, there's something that we have to understand about ourselves. And maybe we already understand this and we just need to admit this about ourselves. But here's the thing. Our pride keeps us grabbing for more instead of being grateful for where we're headed. Our pride keeps us grabbing for more instead of being grateful for where we're headed. Okay? And we're going to see that in Adam's story, and, and I hope as we see it in Adam's story that we'll think about it in our own lives. So when we go back to the beginning, Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then God said, let us, a little theology lesson, right? A point for the Trinity there. Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they make man in their own image. And here's the thing. Man has dominion over everything on the earth. That's crazy. God gave man dominion over everything on the earth. But you know the rest of the story, right? Adam is created to have dominion over everything. Eve is with him. And he says, here's the only thing I don't want you to do, right? Don't eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. That's it. 
You've got dominion over everything. What more could you want? Just don't eat from that tree. They eat from the tree, right? They eat from the tree. And they eat from the tree because Satan comes in the form of a serpent. And he says this to them in Genesis 3.5. Here's the temptation. For God knows that when you eat of it, this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be, what's it say? Like God. Like God. Knowing good and evil. Pride. Pride keeps us grabbing for more instead of being grateful for where we're headed. Right? Adam had dominion over everything. He was in the garden. He was with God. And he knew that all he had to do was to just not eat from the tree. And he could be with God forever. That was his destination. That was everything in life. And yet, this small little seed of pride within him said, but if I could just be like God. If I could just be like God. If I could just have a little bit more than dominion over all the earth. Right? Adam wanted more than dominion over creation. He wanted to be God himself. He just wanted a little bit more. And that idea brings up a really scary question for us, especially, in my opinion, as Americans. Why do we want more? Why do we want more? Why do we want more from our spouse? Why do we want more house? Why do we want more from our kids? Why do we want more for our kids? Why do we want more? What is it in you, what is it in me, that makes us always crave more? I think what I would suggest to us, right, is that it's that little bitty seed of pride that none of us likes to admit that we have. Our pride keeps us grabbing for more instead of being grateful for where we're headed because at the same time, many of us have heard, if, if not before today, you've heard in Tony's story that, that God came to us while we were still sinners and gave us a path out of this place, right? He returned us to this image that we had. So why do we want more? It's a question that we have to wrestle with, and, and, and when we wrestle with it, we, we're not going to find what we like, right? We're going to find that we're like Adam, that we want to be like God. So now we've got a problem, and that doesn't help us at all in answering this tension of not only looking to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We're just making the problem bigger at this point. It seems impossible. Maybe I just ask, like, is it impossible? I think in our pride, it probably is impossible to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we've considered man, right, that, that we're prideful, that we want more all the time. It's never enough, and that we want to be God. Even if we can't totally name that, we want that in our deceptive hearts. But what about God? What about God? What do we learn about God from this passage in Philippians, and, and what do we learn about him in the greater story of Scripture? Verse 6 reminds you, says, who Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. While we're reaching for more, Christ says, I'm not even going to reach to take hold of what is already mine. Right? Christ did not try and do what Adam did. Adam, who wanted to be like God, Christ, who said, although I am God, I will not grasp for equality with God. Romans 5, verses 12 and 15 
they, they kind of paint this picture for us. They, they bring it all into perspective. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, we talked about that with Adam, and, and death through sin, that was the result. And so this death spread to all men because all sinned. We've all got the same big problem we just talked about. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see, Christ's humility undid what was done by man's pride. Christ's humility undid what was done by man's pride. And that's really good news. That's really good news because I hope that we've embraced in just this short time the idea that we have a seed of pride in us that keeps us asking for more. So let's think about specifically what pride is doing to us and let's think about how we might counteract that with the gospel living in us so that we might be grateful for what Christ has done for us. What is pride doing to you? This week uh, was Halloween. Uh, how many people got dressed up? Two. Two people got dressed up. Good. Okay, two people got dressed up. If I ask it back there, I would not be able to talk because I would hear about all the costumes. It was great. Uh, we had, like, I grew up in the country, so trick-or-treating for me was like, hey, put your costume on. Uh, Mom will be really happy to take your picture, and she'll drive you to my, like, we went to my two grandparents, and it was over. Um, so now we, like, live in the neighborhood. We live in a town. I don't even know what that all means, but it's crazy. So we, we are walking around our neighborhood, and I love our neighborhood. Our neighborhood's full of great people, um, like a lot of them in our community group. Like, we love it. We love it. It's a great place. So I'm going to talk bad about them, so i got to praise them first, okay? So it's a great place, but we're walking around in our neighborhood on, on Halloween Tuesday night, and it's awesome. Like, you're walking through people's yards, and no one cares, and you're walking up to people's doors, and they've got smile on their faces, and they're, like, super gracious, and, oh, come here, cutie, you know, like, they're giving all that. And I look over at, at Caitlin, and I'm like, it's crazy to me that we have to have a, a, an event like Halloween to, like, act like we're all good neighbors. Because I don't know if this is how it goes in any other, other neighborhood, but, like, outside of that, there's this awesome Facebook page, which is great. But it's like, somebody was walking through a yard at 11 o'clock at night. Don't worry, I've reported it to the police. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, it, you know, don't mess with my stuff during the, you know, the normal times, but on Halloween, it's okay. It's okay, right? Why, why is that true? Like, it took Halloween for us to, like, all let our guard down a little bit and love each other. I thought about that story. I thought about a conversation I had with Rachel Webb this week. Rachel is one of many of, of you all who have worked together to um, love on this family, this refugee family that you've probably heard us talking about. And um, Naima, if I'm saying it correctly, is the, the mother in that family. She's learning English. And Rachel and I were having a conversation, and she said, Naima, as she's learning English, she started to convey to me, she said, you know, I love America. Like, it's incredible for our family. It's, it's, it's so good. It's so much better than refugee camps, she said, but there's one thing that makes me sad. She said, the one thing that makes me sad is, she said, this is a terrible place to be a mother and a child. She said, what do you, what do you mean by that? She said, like, well, when we go outside of our house, like, if my kids run across the street to the house over across the street, like, everybody goes inside their house. No one stays outside to play. 
like mothers don't connect. She's like, where I'm from, like all the kids get together and they play and the moms, they, you know, they, they connect. And she's like, it's great. She said, here, it is so sad and lonely to be a mother and a child. Man, what is that? What is that? We've talked at length many times before about the isolation, the depression. You heard in Tony's story that, that happens so often in America. And as you start breaking down all of these things, right, the fact that, that we, we're pretty protected, we don't like people like walking through our yard or coming up to our door unexpected, it's a, it's a sad place to be a mother and a baby, there's so much depression and isolation. What is all that? It's the effect of pride. You see, internally, pride is breaking us down. It's breaking us down internally and telling us that we have to, to watch out and protect ourselves. And as a result, what's happening is, is we're becoming very isolated, we're becoming very alone, very depressed, and we want to blame it on all kinds of things, but ultimately it's that seed of pride living in us that says, I don't want to compare myself, I don't want people to be comparing themselves to me. It's a scary place. It's a scary place because there's still consequences for the sin of pride. Leviticus chapter 26, um, in the message translation, verses 18 through 20, it says this, and before you freak out when I read this, just wait, we're going to talk through it, okay? It says, and if none of this works in getting your attention, I'll discipline you seven times over for your sins. I will break your strong pride. I'll make the skies above you like a sheet of tin and the ground under you like cast iron. No matter how hard you work, nothing will come of it. No crops out of the ground, no fruit off the trees. There's a consequence for the sin of pride, and pride is so hard to see. In the Old Testament, we see the justice of God, and the justice of God was always pushing people to obedience. Like, follow the rules, right? That's how things are just. Now, we need to remember that Jesus doesn't change who God is. When Jesus came, it didn't make God not just. His coming, coming simply means that God's justice is pushing us towards grace, and God's grace is pushing us towards that obedience. You see, he comes and, and he stands in the gap for us. But God's grace does not excuse discipline. When we sin, there's often consequences, whether we recognize them as that or not. And those consequences, they're intended to push us towards God's grace. They're intended to, to break down the strongholds that sin has on us. The, 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 the stronghold oftentimes of pride internally breaking us down. You see, the internal effect of pride is being broken down, isolated, depressed, and angry. It's the root of being angry. But pride does more than just affect us internally, right? Like, you're already feeling kind of yucky because, like, all these things are, like, you feel all these things. You got bitterness, you got some rage, you got some anger going on, and you're starting to realize, man, that's sin, that's a pride thing living in me, but it also affects us externally, too. And externally, pride humiliates you. It humiliates you. Proverbs 29, 23 says, Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. Wouldn't it be nice if, like, when we started this, like, adult life, if we just got a list of all the ways that we were going to be humiliated? Wouldn't it be nice to know those in advance? But we don't. We don't know what kind of humiliation we will face, and we don't know when it's coming, but we know that it's never fun. It is never fun to be humiliated. What's scary, though, is that sometimes we don't even recognize that it's happening. It's possible to be too proud to be proud. So if you thought you were good, right, now it's getting scary. 
It's possible to be too proud to be proud. We've all met that person whose bravado, whose confidence is so high that they don't even recognize that pride living in them. And the problem is, is, is we compare ourselves to that person and we continue to be blind to the pride that lives in us. Well, I may be proud, but I'm not that proud. So what does pride look like for you? What does pride look like for you? Fun little story. There were, uh, there were two birds and a frog who had become friends uh, living at this, this pond. And um, the, one summer this pond dried up, right? So as the pond dried up, uh, it, it just wasn't a good place to live anymore. And so the frog looks to his bird buddies. He's like, guys, I got an idea. I'm going to put a stick in my mouth. I'm going to hold on to the stick. You guys are going to get on the end of the stick. You're going to fly up and fly until we find a new pond to live in. It's going to be great. We'll live happily ever after. Birds are like, all right. So frog grabs a stick. Birds get on the end. They begin flying away, looking for a new pond. As they're looking for a new pond, they fly over a farm, and a farmer looks up and sees this miraculous sight. There is a frog flying through the air. Farmer looks up and he says, That is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I wonder whose idea it was. Frog opens his mouth and says, It was my idea. Takes a second, I know. You'll get there. Our pride is constantly leading to our downfalls, right? Even when we don't mean for it to, even when we think it's just a normal thing to take credit for our ideas or for the things that we've done to be proud of our accomplishments. But it's constantly putting us in situations that we're ashamed of. It's constantly leading to our downfall. It's constantly turning us into people that we don't like to be. All right, let's flip the script. There's really good news, right? Remember that truth that we learned about Christ that was just for Adam a few minutes ago, but, but now all of a sudden we realize the pride living in us and we need help? Christ's humility undid what your pride has done to you. It's undone. Praise God and thank God. Because though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't reach for something more. He didn't, you know, he didn't say, you've got to get to a certain point before I love you. But instead, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. That was the ultimate humiliation. You see, he short-circuited that process by humiliating himself on your behalf. And he did that to forgive you. To forgive you. And that's where the power lies. You see, for us too, humility breaks down pride quicker than anything else. When pride is creeping into our lives, maybe even in ways that we don't know, humility will break it down quicker than anything else. And so here comes the practical question that none of us want to answer. What is the most practical way to humiliate yourself on a regular basis so that you don't have to wait for that humiliation to catch up with you? How can you choose to humiliate yourself? The answer is in forgiveness. To forgive. And when you withhold forgiveness, you're in a scary spot because you're unable to love. I don't know about you, but Whenever I start talking about forgiveness, there's like, like a Rolodex of people's faces that just been spinning through my head. 
people that I quite frankly don't want to forgive. Is that true for you? I'm just being honest at that point. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is so difficult. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Boy, wouldn't have that been helpful during the last political season. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, all fruits of pride, be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now these verses, they, they clue us into two kinds of forgiveness, and research has affirmed that these things are true, and, and we probably know innately that they're true, but they're hard for us. Forgiveness is both decisional and emotional. Decisional and emotional. What I mean by that is that we all know, like Colossians 3.13 says, that we're supposed to forgive. And so for many of us, we say, I'm going to forgive you. I forgive you. But then there's the emotional side. There's the emotional side. I'm reminded of a platitude. Anybody know what I'm thinking of? Forgive and forgive and forget. Sounds great. It's true. Haven't met a person yet who's able to do it. Forgive and forget. So how do we do this? How do we truly forgive, both decisionally and emotionally? Because you see, when I think about the way that Christ forgave me, Jesus didn't just sit up in heaven and say, I forgive you for your sins. Right? That's the whole gist of Philippians 2, is that Christ didn't just sit up in heaven and say, I forgive you, but instead, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He came to earth and not only forgave me and forgave you, but he died a death on the cross. Right? He paid for the consequences of the sins that he was forgiving. That's emotional Forgiveness, decisional and emotional. So some of this research that has been done around forgiveness was done by a guy named Everett Worthington. And, and what's cool about it is it's just bringing to light what the Bible has already taught us. That yes, we should make the decision to forgive, but we also have to emotionally forgive. And, and his research says that a person uh, may choose to forgive another person, but if he's still feeling bitter, it hasn't been an emotional forgiveness. One of his biggest studies was uh, amongst the Amish people. Um, so I grew up among Amish. It's a cool, like they're just, like it's interesting. It's interesting. And um, over the recent years, they've kind of become famous in some ways for the way that they can supposedly forgive. I don't know if you've seen this in the news, but you know, maybe a buggy will get hit by a car or um, there was actually one that he studied where a guy walked into an Amish schoolhouse and opened fire. Uh, we don't always hear about those kind, right? And killed uh, ten Amish girls. And he went and he spoke with these families a year after this event. And he said, here's the thing. A year later, they had forgiven him, but they still expressed difficulty dealing with the losses emotionally. And he said, that's not to say that a person whose daughter was gunned down wouldn't still feel immensely sad a year later. But he explains, if I'm sad because of loss, he said, that's grief. And that's one thing. But if I feel resentful and angry, that's emotional unforgiveness. So that Rolodex of people that, that maybe you're struggling to forgive, what do you really feel about them? 
Are you sad because they're not in your life anymore? Are you sad because there's disconnect? Or are you angry and resentful and bitter? He goes on and makes it a little bit worse. He says there's personal characteristics that tend to make a person more or less forgiving. Anger, anxiety, fear, and a narcissistic sense of entitlement. Huh, sounds scriptural. Sounds like the seed of pride. So how do we do that? How do we emotionally forgive people? One of the most important distinctions to make when learning about the practice of forgiveness is to forgive the person, not their actions. You see, Christ is in charge of forgiving the actions. When Christ died on the cross, he forgave their sins. It's not about forgiving sins for us. It's about forgiving the person. You are accountable for forgiving the person. You say, how do I do that? I I just can't get there. This person really hurt me. I can't do it. Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, when I look at a person, I need to have the mind of Christ, which is mine already when I am in him. The mind of Christ looks at that person and says, I've already forgiven you. I created you in my image. As Tony said, you are an image bearer with me of God. I forgive the person, not the action. Playing the sequence of someone's wrongful action over and over again in the mind is a terrible hindrance to obeying God's command to forgive. And when we continually reflect on how wrong an action was, our thoughts begin to act as a blockade between our hearts and God's heavenly compassion. Christ left heaven, journeyed to the cross, was nailed to it, and bled out to forgive you. What will you do to forgive others? Who do you need to walk across the room to today and forgive? Who do you need to drive across town to and forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Think deeply. Because this may not be about the decision to forgive. You may have, may have already made that, but this may be about the emotion of forgiveness that comes through valuing the person who wronged you. I want to watch a video of a story of a guy named Chris Williams. And quite frankly, I can't tell his story better than he does. And so let's watch Chris Williams' story together, and then we're going to respond together in forgiveness. All the petty things that I hold on to, that we hold on to, the forgiveness that we withhold from others seems to go away when you hear a story like Chris Williams. The power of forgiveness. Christ's humility undid what was done by my pride. Forgiveness is, as far as I can tell, the only action that truly helps everyone win. It's the only way that I can humble myself as Christ did. It's the only thing that simultaneously lets us be unselfish and content. It's the only way that we can look to the interest of others and the interest of ourselves at the same time.
forgiveness. When you forgive others, you not only do what's in your best interest, you do what's in the best interest of others. You take on the mind of Christ who forgave you. And though you've been wronged, you don't see revenge as something to be reached for. You don't hold on to your pride. Today, as the band comes back and as we respond, I have a feeling that many of us are in one of two places. For some of us, we're a Chris. We're a Chris, and, and things have gone wrong in life. Whatever that is, whatever that looks like, however we feel that we've been wronged, we've been wronged, right? Because it's a sinful, fallen world. And if we're in that spot today, I pray that we would be inspired by Chris's story to forgive. To not just decide to forgive, but to, to go across the street, to go across, to, to cross whatever barrier there is, and to go and forgive. But then, I think too that there might be, right, and for effect, I'm going to walk all the way over here because you need to think about this. For some of us, I think we might be in Cameron's spot. That teen driver, right? We think we know who Jesus is. We think that we've trusted in Christ. And yet we are stuck in a jail cell of our sin. Unwilling to recognize and to acknowledge that just like Chris Williams walked into that jail cell and shook his hand and forgave him, that Christ has forgiven us and called us to a life of freedom. Don't have too much pride today to admit that you're a Cameron. Don't hold on to your self-image so tightly that you are unwilling to accept the forgiveness of Christ. Come to the altar. Accept the free gift that's been given to you by Christ. Today, there's no shame in that, right? There's no judgment in that. Simply acknowledging that Christ has forgiven you, that he has undone what your pride has done in you and to others in your life. If you're in either one of those situations and you're just trying to figure out where to go next, what step to take, myself and others will be in the back, and we would love to just pray with you, to hear your story, to connect with you. And as we respond, we also respond in the other ways that we respond, right? For many of us, it's just this awesome reminder of the sacrifice that was made on the cross. And we want to celebrate and affirm that by taking communion. If you've been baptized in Christ by immersion after having believed in him, then you can come forward, you can take a piece of that bread and dip it in the juice. And when you do, you are remembering that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. I want to pray for us, and then I want us to respond to that as the band leads. Let's pray.